Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Vice President Harris is yet to actually travel to the border. I think that at some point she may go to the border. We'll see. Yes, I will. And I have before. Oh, this is just crazy. Infrastructure. President Biden is unwilling to let go of some of the most radical promises he made to his party. July 4th is not the end of it. I believe we can. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is Wednesday, and as promised, uh, we've got Ted Budd lined up for you. We'll be talking to him in just a little bit. Uh, Interesting article in the Carolina Journal today. First of all, they talk about polling that John Locke did in March of this year, and I don't know if you remember this, we, we, we talked about it at the time, but election integrity is second in importance in this survey only to jobs and the economy. Election integrity eclipses other issues such as education, health care, and immigration. And uh, 60% of Republicans and a total of 40% of everyone surveyed are worried that the 2022 elections will not be fair and uh, free and fair. And, you know, we have talked about this over and over again, and we constantly say, you know, we think we'll win in 2022 if. Of course, we're talking nationally, but it's up to each state to make sure they have election integrity. The North Carolina GOP announced this past weekend when they were here in Greenville for their convention, a new election integrity committee, which is going to be headed up by Buck Newton of Wilson. And uh, if you remember, Buck ran against uh, Josh Stein in the last election for attorney general. And boy, he would have made a great attorney general. He knows what he's doing. Um, I think he is the guy to have in charge of this committee. I think he'll do a great job. Uh, Elsewhere in the General Assembly, Republican lawmakers are leading a charge to institute a level of transparency and accountability. A sudden reduction in the number of votes at county uh, levels late on election night is understandably intriguing, said Keith Kidwell, our own Keith Kidwell of Beaufort County. Uh, He is also the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. He wants to know uh, why these changes occurred. He said, when they make these changes, there should be an explanation. He said, I'm an accountant. If I make a general entry and then we change it, I've got to give a reason for that uh, entry change. Or guess what? The IRS gives me a call. Earlier this month, the Freedom Caucus interviewed Patrick Gannon, who is the public information director for the North Carolina State Board of Elections. The lawmakers asked about concerns such as whether or not North Carolina's election equipment is capable of connecting to the Internet via a modem. Now, here's the problem. In most of these pieces of equipment don't connect to the Internet, although they're saying that there could be some adjustments and they could connect to the Internet. But what's even more, uh, I don't know if you use the word uh, suspicious or intriguing or whatever, Andy Jackson, who's the director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity, uh, came up and uh, was a part of this article. Of course, Civitas and uh, John Locke are now one and the same. But they, uh, he was saying that it was uh, late in 2019 the State Board of Elections certifies all their machines, but in late 2019, the machines that they were using, the company they bought them for, they needed some additional machines, the company they bought them for were out of the machines that North Carolina had already certified, 
But they said, we have these others that just like it. Yeah. Uh, just like it, except perhaps they could be connected to the Internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, Patrick Gannon, and we've had him on the program before. He seems like a credible guy. I don't know anything about him, but he seems like he's a credible guy. Uh, and, you know, he, he made mention, well, you know, it's against the law in North Carolina to uh, have any of these election pieces of election equipment uh, hooked up to the Internet. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of laws out there that were ignored in uh, last November's election, including the fact that the state board of elections and the uh, attorney general got together and said, hey, you know what, we're not the, we're not the state legislature, but we're going to make up the rules as we go along. Yeah, and you think about with all the cyber attacks going on and the prevalence of that in, in the yeah. business world and the government world, it, Good it's point. pretty scary. I mean, yeah, it, it, you could be honest. The Democrats could be honest. The Board of Elections could be honest. <laughs> Maybe somebody overseas is not so honest. And you've got uh, from a, from a you know like an identity theft issues around the world now. It, a lot of times they originate in government organizations outdated systems and and just don't have the security outside the military a lot of government systems their security is terrible and anyone in that industry will tell you that you would think that the government would be the best of the best but not so pentagon but mm. well even that you begin to wonder (laughs) uh also uh senate bill 326 and senate bill 725 are out there, and there's a there's actually actually they've broken it down into three separate bills the Senate has uh, dealing with election integrity. First part of this uh, bill would establish election day as the deadline for acceptance of absentee ballots. Bingo, boom, that's it. <laughs> no, you're not going to get an extra three days. You're not going to get an extra nine days. This is law, no questions. Election day deadline. Senate bill. Uh, 725 would prohibit private funding of election uh, administrations such as sponsors. Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook put millions of dollars in to, quote, get out the vote. The problem was it was not equally applied. Zuckerberg goes into areas that are heavily Democrat and did everything but sent out a limousine to take the person to go vote and then take them out to dinner. Maybe they did that, too. So, uh, no, they're going to say, no, you're not allowed to come in and do that kind of, quote, nonpartisan get-out-the-vote stuff. Uh, Finally, Senate uh, Republicans continue to push for the active proliferation of voter ID through funding of a mobile outreach program that targets and serves those few North Carolinians with none of the extensive list of acceptable forms of identification. If truth be known, now, I, I fully expect liberals, some liberal organization to go out and come up with several thousand people. Oh, I need an ID. Oh, give me an ID. If truth be known, you can't come up with a dozen people that don't have some form of a legal ID mm-hmm. that want to vote. I don't think they exist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone has an ID. Anything you have to do this day and age, I don't care what it is. Ralph, Heiss, an ID. Ralph Heiss of Madison County said, We'll find out soon if Democrats really care about helping voters obtain free ID cards or if they just made up that concern in an effort to kill voter ID, which North Carolina voters added to their own constitution in 2018. You think? (laughs) Ralphie boy, you got it. (laughs) You are right on. This business of accepting absentee ballots so late, (laughs) 
I mean, it, it's kind of the equivalent of you and I play golf, and you know, you, you start on the back nine, I start on the front nine, and we we meet up after a round's over with, and I say, Tom, what'd you score? Well, I had seventy four. Well, gosh, I had a seventy two. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, you wait, you, you wait and see how many votes you need, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of votes appear. I mean, it, it was proofed in a lot of states that. All these very, very late absentee ballots. Oh, yeah. 80%, 90%, 100% for Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. There's, uh, a- a- in fact, there are more stories out there where there was one um, yesterday we never got to, but um, th- the recounts in Arizona and Georgia continue, uh, th- the integrity issues continue to mount up in those two states. I, I mean, it's long and complicated. But bottom line is there are stacks of ballots that are on a different type of paper. They're not folded. These ballots have one person, you know, the little bubbles that you fill in. One person has their bubble filled and nobody else does. That's Joe Biden. And every bubble that's filled in, obviously it was done on some sort of a printer because— Apparently, there's a little ellipse in just part of the bubble that you can barely see, a little white ellipse, but every bubble has that same ellipse in it. <laughs> and, and we're talking about th- tens of thousands yeah. of these. And, uh, you know, the, and again, why are the Democrats fighting these audits? I think it's pretty obvious yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. The um, New York Post is reporting on an interesting story. Remember Billy Carter? He looks like a saint compared to Hunter Biden. (laughs) Billy Beer. Billy Beer. (laughs) I mean, that's the worst thing that Jimmy had to worry about was Billy Beer and him belching in a crowd. I mean, that was, you know, that was the... Or passing out. Didn't he pass out at a dinner one time or something? (laughs) Drinking too much, probably. (laughs) But that was the worst it got. I mean, he didn't do anything illegal as far as we know. At least I don't remember him doing anything. Hunter Biden, on the other hand, oh, my goodness. There's a story out which was broken by the Daily Mail. The New York Post picked it up, and a lot of other publications picked it up off the New York Post. But uh, first son, Hunter Biden, has repeatedly called his white attorney the N-word in a pair of bizarre and occasionally lewd conversations he had via email and text messaging early in 2018-2019. These, again, were found on his laptop in exchange from December 13, 2018 from the laptop. Uh, Hunter asked Chicago-based corporate attorney Michael Massares, how much money do I owe you before adding because, inward, you better not be charging me Hennessy rates. The attorney said that that made me snarf my coffee. I just made that phrase up, Biden responded, adding, I should have had your lineage. Apparently you do, the attorney said, before Biden responded, that's what I'm saying, N-word. A month later, the mail reported a second more serious exchange between the attorney and Hunter was interrupted by attempts at banter. Where do you find unconditional love then, George? Hunter asked, to which the attorney replied, God loves unconditionally. Bo loves you unconditionally. Children are too young to understand what that means, but you will show them. There are ideals of unconditional love that serve as proxy, the attorney continued. I don't have many. You, God. 
Hunter responded, Oh my God, N-word. Did you just a fictional character from the imagination of collective frightened and my dead brother's unconditional love is what I should rely on and my kids aren't children, George? My parents were conditional, the attorney answered. Uh, Hunter, and look, if you got kids in the car, turn down the, turn down the radio right now. Hunter responded, quote, my penis as of late has been unconditional. The attorney responded, that's what we're searching. That's why we are searching. For my penis, retorted Hunter, we'll always be searching, the attorney said. It's a big one, George, Hunter said. Um, it's, <laughs> the, the attorney responded, it's so annoying when you inject this frivolity, to which Hunter said, dang true, inward. Uh, so anyway, to make a long story short, uh, uh, Hunter Biden is, uh, a mess. Yeah. He's a train wreck. A mess. Uh, I just can't imagine. He's uh, a freak. I'm going to call an audible here. Uh, We have, uh, we're going to go to break, but, uh, Congressman Ted Budd is on the line with us now. Congressman Budd, welcome in. Good to have you with us. Tom Lamprecht and Benny Hardy are with you on the air live. Welcome into East, uh, Welcome back to Eastern North Carolina via the radio. So, Tom, Benny, as you heard, I was there this past weekend, and uh, it was amazing. Great to be with you all, by the way. Thanks for having me. You bet. Yeah, This was a pretty big weekend. Uh, as most of our listeners know, you were in Eastern North Carolina, specifically Greenville. You were at the North Carolina uh, State Convention. And to say you received an endorsement is an understatement. Well, two things happened. It was uh, Laura Trump just said she is not running for the U.S. Senate. Right. And a little background there. Laura has worked to help me get reelected when the Democrats were coming after me in uh, 2018. They were outspending me two to one, and she helped me. And then we worked together to uh, get others reelected last year in 2020. So she's uh, become a real ally and a friend. I have huge respect for her and the whole Trump family. But to have Trump's endorsement, President Trump's endorsement, from the podium was just uh, the honor of a lifetime, and I, I, I couldn't be more pleased. A lot of ro- lot of work ahead, as I said from the uh, from the podium up front uh, when he called me up. But you know, I've got to earn this. I've got to ask North Carolinians for their prayer, for their support, for their vote, and I'm going to do that over the next 272 days. When did you know the endorsement was coming? Well, there's two ways to look at it. One is when did I know it? When did I actually know it was coming? And that's like just a few minutes before. Wow. But this is really the work of uh, the last four or five years. I mean, President Trump and I came in in 2016 together. He went through a 17-way, 18-way primary. I went through a 17-way primary. I'm a business guy that had never run for office before. Uh, and we're both out there fighting for the forgotten men and women of America. So I think he gets that. He knows that I'm a fighter. He knows that I'm out there trying to help folks. And, um, you know, and I don't waver. So uh, that I think that earned his respect over the past several years. And, uh, you know, and working with uh, being helped by Laura in 2018 and working with her in 2020 to, to support the president uh, definitely helped. But only a few minutes before did I wow. know that uh, it was he was going to announce it that night. Well, you know, that sort of answers one of the questions, because obviously the other candidates were there. Mark Walker and Governor McCory were there. Uh, you know, and it was it was a little awkward because traditionally, and, and listen, I, either one of them would have gladly accepted the endorsement <laughs> and would have been doing backflips. 
but it, it was it, it was a little awkward, I would think, uh, with with those other two candidates there. Well, look, primaries are awkward, right? Eventually, we've yeah, got to get right. to the eleventh commandment, where we don't beat each other up, and then we get on to uh, you know helping our country. And the Republican platform, you know, if you actually stick to it, actually helps get uh, people back in the workforce. It helps make our uh, borders secure, and it makes our country stronger. Makes uh, all people more prosperous. So we got to get back to that, and that's. Uh, but you know, until then, primaries are the way it, it is. Uh, they're awkward for all of us because, look, uh, uh, I know Pat, I know Mark, uh, but we got to win the general as well as the primary, and the general's really, you know, what we got to focus on here. Well, let me ask you a couple questions related to that because we've had Mark Walker on with us. Uh, he came on. I think I think it was right about the time you announced, if I'm not mistaken. It was a few weeks ago, but. My, my impression from Mark was that you and Mark are pretty good friends, and politically speaking, your ideology is probably very, very similar. A, did you guys have any, did you two have any discussion prior to either one of you getting into the race? And B, is there any concern? Because I would say if I assessed the election that you and Mark are probably more on the conservative side, and I would say that Pat McCrory, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, I'm not trying to knock anybody or elevate anybody, but I would say Pat McCrory is probably more in the middle. Do you have any concern? Have you talked to him? Is there any concern that you two could split the more conservative vote? Not worried about that a bit. I think what sets me apart is, uh, look, we're both people of, uh, of faith. You no, know, I've met my wife on a mission trip the week before the Iron Curtain came down in 1991 in Moscow. Uh, you know, she's a West Virginian, by the way. She has fabulous English. And uh, beyond that, you know. <laughs> you don't pay for that. <laughs> yeah. I hope she's not listening. But. Oh, she's heard it. She's, she's heard it. She's only a few steps oh away. By. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but, you know, the things that separate me, look, I grew up in an agricultural background. I lived on a, on a Tyson chicken hatching up egg operation uh, farm with black Angus cattle. Um, you know, I'm a small business person. I'm the guy that, you know, struggles through those quarterly taxes and, you know, the ups and downs of owning a small business. Uh, that's, that's how I grew up. Uh, and I'm battle tested, you know, came here through a big 17 way primary in 2016. Um, and then the Democrats came after me with everything they had in the worst Republican district. And I won by a big margin in 2018. And then I turned around and helped others in 2020. So I think those are the things that set us apart. And so when you start looking uh, beyond the surface, you start seeing, um, you know, why not only can win the primary, but can win the general. You had mentioned earlier of the 11th commandment. Uh, I, I, I want, and I'm not trying to back anybody into a corner, but I really want to give you an opportunity to respond to some comments, a statement that was released by Governor Pat McCrory after the endorsement the other night. McCrory released the following statement shortly after Trump endorsed you. I'm disappointed that President Trump has endorsed a Washington insider who has done more to oppose the Trump agenda than anyone else in the race. Ted Budd opposed President Trump's plan to secure the border, to support our farmers, to repeal Obamacare, and he even voted against President Trump's COVID vaccines. Now he'll do even more to defend to, uh, to defeat Trump's agenda if he's the Republican nominee by giving our seat in the U.S. Senate to Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. Ted Budd's bought and paid for Washington insider voting record is not electable in North Carolina. If supporters of Trump want his agenda to be supported in the U.S. Senate, they should not vote for Ted Budd, 
who has opposed him at every turn and who would lose to the far left next November. Your response. I'm sorry, Tom, it cut out. Can you read that again? No, I'm just totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think it makes my case even stronger why, uh, you know, I'm the one, because first of all, that's not true. And I think it's a disservice to people to put out that kind of misinformation. But I don't think President Trump really appreciates being lectured on who's better to make America again. And what I see is that career politicians, they always get desperate when things don't go their way. And that's exactly what happened. And we can see it in the messaging there. What kind of response have you gotten to your campaign financially, inquiries? Uh, I, I would think, because, I mean, C-SPAN carried that speech uh, nationally, and a lot of other publications and outlets ran with it. I would think you saw a huge spike uh, at your campaign, did you? Absolutely. It was very helpful, uh, you know, one, but we can't, I want to say, first of all, Tom, you know, I totally am grateful for that moment for Laura being very clear for President Trump's endorsement. That was a hugest, uh, <laughs> that's a new word there. Hugest. That was a, yeah. It was a huge boost for the campaign. Huge. Um, but I also want to, <laughs> huge with a Y, but I want to say 272 days until the March 8th primary. And I look at this as the starting point and I've still got to get out there and ask every North Carolinian that's going to be voting in the Republican primary uh, that, you know, I've got to do a lot of hard work, but I need to ask for their prayers, for their support, and for their vote. So this is a starting point. Uh, It's not game over. Uh, This is me continuing to work for the next 272 days, and then from that point, on to the general. We're talking to Congressman Ted Budd. Uh, Ted, Benny's got a question for you. Hey, Congressman Budd. um, Obviously, you know, being a congressman in the thir- i guess the 13th district and not being in a statewide office um it's somewhat challenging when, when you go to a, a statewide race and this weekend just a prime example i always have to tell myself that people don't follow politics like tom and myself and i asked someone about hey did you hear about president trump's endorsement of uh, ted budd and they said well who's ted budd hmm. so i mean obviously that's a challenge so what is without Getting into the details of X's and O's, what is your, your game plan to, for, from a statewide standpoint uh, for the next year? Well, Benny, that's a, that is the question, and it, it, the answer is that's why we run campaigns. You know, obviously there's, uh, there's well-known name ID by some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the former governor, but it's not great name ID. The unfavorables are upside down, and uh, that's, you know, that's why we have to get out there and tell them about what I stand for and why I can win, and how I will uh, represent North Carolina before the federal government. And all I have to do is stand on my record. Uh, it's a strong record. It's clear. It's conservative. Uh, and people can look at it. You know, this the uh, most conservative North Carolina um, member of the Republican delegation. So, look, uh, I think it's pretty clear. Congressman Bud, we were looking at your your resume before we went on this afternoon and noticed that uh, one of the places you attended school was the Dallas uh, Theological Seminary, and which is a a great conservative seminary. As as you look at the challenges before our country, how do you address the moral issues, the ethical issues, the the, the lack of the intact family? How do you because look this. And, well, let me ask you, how much of this is a spiritual problem? Well, I think you have to address it because people send me to send me to Washington to address it from a policy perspective, but I think all of our faiths need to inform what we do uh, at work. 
So I would say, look, we have a, a lot of issues when it comes to uh, the economy that uh, can start as, as family issues. Uh, we need to make sure that there are strong family units and people that, you know, may have been uh, left behind have a lot of opportunity um, to build a greater future, um, regardless of their of their background. So, look, I come from an evangelical Christian perspective, but I think if you want protection for everyone, whether they believe like I believe or not, um, I think I, I come with that perspective. And I think uh, the way I was raised, um, it helps uh, take care of everyone. And so I'm I'm honored to, uh, you know, to be uh, to be on the ballot and uh, in, for the primary. And I think I'm going to win this. But, look, I think a lot of these issues go back to very spiritual problems. And I can certainly understand it from that perspective. But I can also listen to people that don't have the same background as me. As you look at the election, and uh, obviously you're—well, let me ask you this as a question. I, I'm assuming that you cannot—you uh, know, in, in uh, the state of uh, Delaware, Joe Biden actually ran for the vice president and the Senate at the same time. You've got to decide which you're going to run for, so you're going to be leaving your congressional chair to to run for the Senate, correct? Absolutely, yeah. That When it comes time to file later in the year, that will be an, an up or out. I don't even know if you want to call it up. It's more of a lateral move. Right. You know, it's a bigger territory, of course, but it's just down the hallway in the U.S. Senate. Uh, and it does look after the whole state before the federal government. So, um, yeah, it, it, but look, I'm a business guy, background, um, you know, got a, a great family, um, and I'm here to serve. And I'm not, I don't go there with the mindset of a lifetime politician. I go there uh, if they keep, if they do reelect me and I'm still creating value, uh, look, I'll serve. But I am a supporter of the term limits amendment, and that that passes, so certainly I would support it. Um, and, of course, you have to abide by it once it uh, gets ratified. All right. Uh, Congressman Bud, this is Benny again. Um, this appears to be your the the congressman district. It's the first time you've ever run for political office, and this would only be the second time. Heck, President Trump ran for president. He, I don't think he ever ran for any elected office. Was there any one issue that motivated you to run for Congress? I look, you know, I was raised in, in rural North Carolina, not far from Winston-Salem, so I understand the city, but I also stand, understand uh, the, the rural aspects uh, from the farm in Davie County where I was raised. But I just see so many people being left behind and being forgotten by D.C. insiders, and their policies are out of touch. And they need somebody that fights for them and stands up for them and you can put a lot of specific policies underneath that, but I really think Trump captured that in the America First policy set. Um, it is about making our economy strong, giving everybody opportunities. Um, uh, so I just think when we do that, we all win together. Uh, we're going to create a rising tide that floats all the boats, and that's what I want to do. Let me ask you something that you are very familiar with. Um, my wife owns a 380. I have a 9 millimeter. Uh, when are we going to get some ammo? <laughs> We're starting to see it, uh, you know, uh, break free a little bit. But I tell you what, it's not just ammo. I mean, you talk about plastics, you talk about machinery, uh, fuel shortages, uh, you know, uh, poly shortages that go into all the the, uh, the plastics and automotive and furniture. I was even at the High Point Furniture Market today, uh, the very last day, and they're really having supply chain issues yeah. because of, of shortages. So while you've got about 8 or 9 million new firearm uh, owners in this country, and more, more women, more minorities than ever that are first-time buyers. Um, so I just think that is fabulous. Now we need to make sure that they're proficient and that they're safe. 
um, and that they are, are regularly practiced. And I think, uh, you know, that's a real concern when there are shortages like this. But the shortages are more widespread than, uh, than just ammunition. And so one of the things we can do to help those shortages is get folks back into the workforce. I mean, when you see uh, re- restaurants offering four or $500 and more bonuses just to start work right. and hiring on the spot, uh, not even being selective with, uh, you know, getting the best that they can. They're just saying, anybody, please come. We've got to stop paying people to stay home. I think that's destroying our economy, and it's sending the wrong message to uh, people across the country. And by the way, for our right. listeners, Congressman <clears throat> Bud owns his, his day job when he's not in Washington, D.C. He has a, uh, I guess it's an indoor pistol range and a gun shop, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's rifles as well, indoors, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's right north of Winston-Salem. And I uh, bought it for a local police department, uh, you know, 11 years ago out of bankruptcy. And then uh, the police department uh, training captain said, never underestimate the need of the public to have a safe place to shoot. And well, uh, so we have it to the public and just honored to do so. And 50,000 unique clients later, you know, it's, uh, it still works great. Well, I, I, I know you've got to run, but uh, I, I guess there's one thing you can be grateful to Democrats for, uh, Congressman <laughs> Bud, is uh, they increase gun sales. Every time they get elected, gun sales go up. <laughs> you know, we take a lot less gun sales. And, uh, you know, if we could just make sure that we were protecting our country and uh, the rights that we all deserve from the Constitution. Uh, you know, rights don't come from our country. They come from God. And we Amen. need to remember that. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very concerned. Um, about the direction of our country, and I know most folks out there are as well. They're worried about spending. They're worried about jobs, the border, Israel, critical race theory, election security. I mean, there's a whole broader set of issues that people are worried about, and so we have to stand strong. And, and you know, we need somebody that will uh, not just win this seat. We need to win the whole Senate, and we need to uh, win the House as well and eventually the presidency back in 2024. Sounds good to me. Listen, uh, Congressman, one last question. I'll let you run. Um, A, the website is tedbud.com. That's T-E-D-B-U-D-D.com if you want more information. That's the campaign website. Uh, Last question, um, when you come to Eastern North Carolina, will you sit in with us for the whole hour and take telephone calls? I would be honored to do so. Let me uh, be back in touch with you on that and look forward to being there. Sounds great. Congressman Ted Budd, who has announced his uh, candidacy for the U.S. Senate to replace Richard Burr and uh, endorsed this past weekend by President Donald Trump. Thank you, Congressman. Thanks. Tom, Benny, thank you so much. You bet. We're going to be right back. Join the show. 252-561-TALK. News and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. 561-8255. Steve from Washington's on the line. Hey, Steve. Hey, Steve. Hey. How's it going? You're doing well. Good to hear from you. Yep. Hey, I think the uh, convent- Republican convention this past weekend was a really significant milestone in the Senate primary. I think uh, it's really pushed Ted Budd ahead with the Trump endorsement. It also shows McCrory's weakness with party activists. Um, And I think it particularly shows that from the straw poll vote. Of course, Mark Walker won the straw poll vote. Yep. McCrory, though, was by far the best known of the three. And he only got 17%, which was 
largely due to the fact that as governor, he essentially ignored the party and party activists. He's not well thought of from that. And also a lot of party activists look at the fact that he's lost two out of three times when he should have won statewide races. Well, and Donald Trump Trump said that. But let me ask you, do you think, uh, while I, I don't disagree with what you said, the party activists only make up a small percentage of the total vote when it comes time for the primary and the general election. And obviously in this public polling that has taken place up to now, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think uh, maybe I do have it like here. 40 percent. Yeah, I think uh, the yeah, the uh, the poll that uh, the Carolina Journal reported on an independent primary poll showed McCory. Uh, this is back in May. McCory had 40 percent of the vote. Walker had 10.5 percent, but had 4.8 percent. 44 percent were undecided. Well, I think at this point that simply reflects name identification. A lot of that, and, yes. I'd yeah, agree. And yeah. I don't think McCrory has any upside to that, only a downside, um, especially when some of the issues that um, he's been associated with uh, during his tenure as governor start being brought out by other candidates, such as his giving uh, North Carolina driver's licenses to DACA illegal aliens. Hmm. Um, a lot of that stuff is going to be coming out. And also, the other two candidates are going to have more money, especially Bud, who's backed by the Club for Growth. The Club for Growth is to guarantee a whole bunch of money coming in. Yeah, I don't know. I, I asked uh, Ted, you probably heard, you know, what kind of spike did you see in contributions and in interest to his campaign? He didn't give a specific answer, but I'm, you know, nationally, when 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 Trump made that, because that was on national TV, I would think he's seen contributions from all over the country after that. Yeah. And I think there's also an issue that uh, Mark Walker can't get away from. He made a very bad tactical mistake. I get the impression Steve is liking Ted Budd. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what what Walker did that that was really uh, tactically foolish, he spent a lot of money doing a mass mailing with an endorsement from Paul Ryan. Very poor job. You know, I, I asked I asked Mark about that, and that did not originate from his campaign. That was a uh, that was a pack that did not originate from his campaign. So well, I mean that that was it, it, now and, and theoretically, well, legally, you can't do anything about that. You're you're not allowed to be you know have a voice in that. I asked about if you go back and listen in our archives, I get to that Mark Walker um, uh, interview. He he. Um, didn't have anything to do with that. Steve, i got a question back to Governor McCrory. You, you made a statement that Governor McCrory ignored the uh, Republican Party and the party activists. That, that's sort of a broad general statement. How, how did he ignore them? What exactly do you mean there? Well, for example, I served in the Martin administration. And in the Martin administration, uh, basically we had Republicans as cabinet secretaries, and they hired Republicans. Uh, McCrory's initial cabinet was half Republican and half not Republican. And when you go lower, uh, it it got even worse as far as the proportion. One of the results of that was that some of the people that were in policymaking positions made some bad policy, like that call on the uh, driver's licenses for DACA illegal aliens. The assistant secretary at DOT that made that call was not a Republican. Hmm. The cabinet secretary, she answered to was not a Republican. 
Hey, Steve, this is good stuff. We went long on our interview with Ted, and we're up against a break. We've got to take a break. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. And uh, Benny and I will be right back. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Craig has been waiting patiently. Craig, welcome in. Hey, Craig. Craig, you with us? No? Okay. Look, I've got uh, some audio I want to play with you anyway. Play for you anyway. Um, Howard Portnoy is reporting on that interview that Barack Obama had earlier this week with Anderson Cooper. Um, The president blatantly mocks any conservatives who are concerned with critical race theory. A white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and, and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. And we're seeing it right now, right, where uh, you would think with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now that, you know, the Republican Party would uh, be engaged in a significant debate about uh, how are we going to deal with the economy and what are we going to do about climate change and what are we going to do about lo and behold the the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory who knew that 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 was the threat to our republic but those debates uh, uh, are powerful because they get at uh, what story do we tell about ourselves This is the perfect response for a spokesperson wanting to promote critical race theory. Laugh at anyone who is concerned about it. First words out of his mouth, which is right out of the critical race theory playbook, he says, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing demographic changes and do everything they can to give people a sense that their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. No, um, we people that are upset with critical race theory are looking at it as a Marxist ploy. Uh, look, I mean, it's, it's <clears throat> oh, you whiteies are so upset that your racist way of life might be turned upside down. Hey, CRT is only asking people not to be bigoted, to love everybody just the same. That's all it is. Why are you people so upset? It is a Marxist ideology that's been around for years, but now it's on steroids. I mean, it was workers are the oppressed versus employers are the oppressors. It was unions, they're the, pre- the oppressed, against white to, right-to-work employers who are the oppressors. And now it's one race pitted against another race. One race are the oppressors, the other race are the oppressed. I mean, unless you're, you're in, the, in the tank for Democrats, um, if not, you don't have a brain. If you don't see that Barack Obama is the most racist president since um, yeah. Joe Biden. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but Anderson Cooper. He did I mean, the interview. I, th- I think yeah. Anderson Cooper is an incredible talent. I really do. But he is so in, in the tank for the Democrats. Oh, yeah. if, he, if he was a honest journalist, his follow-up question would be, well, well President Obama, I, I'm reviewing some of these this information on critical race theory where it talks about white people being inherently racist. 
I mean, that's the follow-up question that an honest journalist right. w- would do. Yeah. W- wouldn't you be yeah. upset, Mr. President? Yeah. If everybody, saw, if everybody looked at you and said there's something wrong with you because of your race, that's called racist. Yeah. That's it, called racism. Howard Portnoy points out as well that Obama, while he was at Harvard, became immersed in and a strong advocate for critical race theory. It was developed by his mentor, a guy by the name of Derek Bell. The theory proceeds from the assumptions that white supremacy is rampant in American society on both a conscious and an unconscious level, and that the only remedy is racial emancipation. And how is that achieved? As Hans Bader explains in his book, Anti-Racism, founder Ibram X. Kinti advocates wide-scale discrimination against whites and Asians to remedy black underrepresentation. Look, I, I read Barack Obama's first two books. I, I wouldn't dare read his, you know, last the latest one, <clears throat> latest one. It looks like a, you know, encyclopedia or something. But um, you need to read it if you've never read it. But but there's two things I found out about Barack Obama before he ever ran for office. Um, he is deeply, deeply racist person. That that's just a fact based on his writings, not my words, right. his writings. And also, he has a deep resentment for American values. Oh, absolutely, and that is an absolute fact. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's written in his writings. If he didn't write it, then who in the hell wrote it? But it's in his two first two oh, books. Yeah. Isn't oh, yeah. he? Isn't he half white too? Yes, his his uh, mom is uh, Caucasian. His dad yeah. was from Kenya. Yeah, his oh. his mom was from the Midwest, maybe. Uh, I thought she's from Hawaii. Was she not from Hawaii? But I mean, I think oh, her parents yes, were yes, like yes. from the Midwest. Yes, you, that is correct. You are mm-hmm. you are right on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this is just beyond the pale for him to laugh at critical race theory, and yet as he's laughing at it and says, you know, there there's so many other pressing issues such as climate change. Oh yeah, I mean, if you look at how that comes in on the polling. I mean, it's like almost dead last every time. I mean, you can have 20 different issues and climate change is at the bottom of the list. Uh, The economy, uh, by the way, the economy under Trump uh, was really humming along until this COVID deal, which is the the more we look at this, it certainly appears that that was... Whether or not it was orchestrated, it was certainly abused to uh, defeat Donald Trump, who had the economy humming along. Hey, we got to take a time. Uh, well, no, we're done. I mean, it's not a timeout. It's a timeout until tomorrow, Still right? Hour. And, hey, just, just 24, well, 23 hours from now, we'll be back. <laughs> um, and we'll play a little political trivia. Uh, our thanks to uh, Congressman Ted Budd for joining us today. And, again, look forward to being with you tomorrow. See you then. Bye-bye, yeah. everybody. All right, all right, all right.